whole chapter of the book of 1 John. <clears throat> Last week when we ended the fourth chapter of 1 John, uh, the fifth chapter begins much like the fourth chapter ends. So it's, a, it's kind of a continuation uh, uh, as far as how we would perceive it. And I, I know I've said it uh, before, but I will again. You've got to remember that when this was originally written in Greek, there were no chapter divisions, there were no verse numbers, uh, nothing along those lines. So this continuation uh, isn't in vain. It was all part of one big letter that uh, John wrote to the recipients thereof. Uh, so while it may seem strange to us, uh, when John wrote it, it wouldn't have seemed a bit strange to him, uh, and certainly not to the people that received it. But uh, last week, uh, when we were ending uh, John, 1 John chapter 4, uh, the last couple of verses talks about the love of God and, and how uh, it's you know, basically an impossibility for us to say that uh, we love God, but but to hate our brother. And, uh, and like I said, the, the fifth chapter of 1 John uh, begins along those same lines. And uh, the last verse, verse 21 of 1 John chapter 4, says, and this, and this commandment we have from him, that he who loveth God love his brother also. And that gives us the segue uh, into chapter 5 of 1 John. So the first verse of First uh, John chapter 5 says, Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone that loveth him that begat loveth him also that is begotten of him. And really and truly, if you back up to verse 20 in the fourth chapter, he's basically saying the same thing in this verse that he said in verses 20 and 21, really, of chapter 4. But he says, Whosoever believeth that Jesus is is the Christ is born of God, and we addressed this in the uh, in chapter four, a few verses previous to this, where John writes uh, uh, writes basically the same thing, but when we addressed it uh, a week or two ago, uh, we used the the analogy uh, of you know well Satan believes that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, but I can promise you Satan has no part in heaven. And Satan is not born of God. He's certainly not born of God. He is quite the opposite. He's, uh, he's, he's antichrist. He's against Christ. He's against everything, uh, everything that is for Christ. He is instead of Christ. Uh, so whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone that loveth him that begat loveth him also that is begotten of him. So in other words... Uh, John here is, uh, is saying those that, that believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and, and we've addressed it before, but we'll do it again. Uh, how deep does that belief go? What exactly do we believe? Because anybody could come up to us and say, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. But what do they believe about Jesus Christ? Do they believe in the Jesus Christ that was born in Bethlehem to a, uh, to a, to a virgin woman? If, if the answer is yes, that's great. Do they believe in the Jesus Christ that taught and preached uh, and, and, and in the area around Galilee and all those towns and regions uh, thereof? 
and, and do they believe in that Jesus Christ and the life that he lived? They lived a perfect and a sinless life. And if they say yes, that's wonderful. Do they believe in the Jesus Christ that was crucified, that, that shed his blood, that, that died for you and I and died for the remission of sins? And if they say yes, that's great. Do they believe in the Jesus Christ that ascended or that resurrected first? Do they believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that he came back from the dead, that he was literally dead, and he was literally brought back to life uh, by, by a collaborative effort, really, of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, and, and Scripture backs that up. Do they believe in this Christ that resurrected? And if they say yes, that's great. Do they believe in the ascended Christ? The one that's making intercession uh, for you and I, for all who believe. The one that is mediator between God and man. The one that sits at the right hand of the Father. The same Jesus Christ that Stephen saw as he was being stoned. And he saw him at the right hand of the Father. Do, do they believe in that Jesus Christ? And if they say yes, that's great and that's fine and that's well. But then we come to the Jesus Christ of the book of Revelation. And that's the one that people don't want to believe in. That's the one that people have a hard time with. That's the one whose, whose feet is as brass, which speaks of judgment. His eyes are like fire. Amen. That's the one that says in Revelation 19, he doth judge and make war. Most people don't want to believe in that Jesus. They want to keep Jesus here on earth in some sense or another they want to keep him as the meek and the lowly jesus not the jesus that on his that on his thigh was written a name king of king and lord of lords they don't want to think about that jesus and they don't want to believe in that jesus if they don't believe in that christ they do not believe in the christ of the bible right they do not believe in the same jesus Amen. that i do because that's the jesus that i serve Jesus Christ, the, the one that's the one that's coming back to take me home one of these days. Amen. He is not. He's not going to come back in the form of a baby, and Amen. he's not going to come back in the form of a homeless man that depended on his friends to shelter him and to feed him. And he's not going to come back to be crucified yet again. And he's not going to come uh, come back for any of these things. He's coming back to claim his church, and he's coming back once and for all to put Satan in his place. He's Amen. coming back to be the promised seed. That, that was to bruise the head of the serpent. That's the Savior that I worship. That's the Savior that I serve right now. Because yeah. that's the Savior that he is right now. Amen. He's already been a baby. He's already been a man. He's already been crucified. He's already been resurrected. And he's already ascended. But he is coming back. Amen. And if we don't believe in that aspect of Jesus Christ, we don't believe the Christ of the Bible. So when the question or when the statement is said, whosoever believe that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, they have to believe every one of these facets of Jesus Christ that we just spoke of. He is Messiah. He is the Son of God. Everyone to believe that Jesus is the Christ. This is the same statement that Peter made when Jesus said, whom say men that I am. And of course the apostles are like, some say you're this one, some say you're that one. And he said, but whom say ye that I am? Who do you say that I am? And Peter said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And he was recognizing Jesus as Messiah when he said that. He was recognizing him as the promised seed. He was recognizing him as the one that should be born in, in, in Bethlehem, as the prophet Micah said. 
He was recognizing him as the one that's brought up throughout the Psalms and the one that's brought up in the book of Isaiah, the one that's mentioned in the book of Ezekiel, the one that's mentioned in the book of Daniel. No, not mentioned by name, but there was a, pro a promised Messiah and, and Peter was recognizing Christ. Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Amen. Thank you, Lord. This is the Jesus that we must believe in. This is the Jesus that anyone, if they confess him, as Christ, that's the Christ that they must confess. Every aspect of him. And everyone that loveth him that begat. Well, who is him that begat? That's God the Father. We have to be born of God, right? We have to be born of the Spirit. And then you got Romans chapter 8 says that if any had not the Spirit of Christ, we are none of his. Amen. We have to be born of God. Right. So, in everyone that, and everyone that loveth him that begat, loveth him also that is begotten of him. Like I said, he's saying the same thing that he said in, in chapter 4 and verse 20. He's just using different words to do, uh, to do so. Him that begat will be God. Anyone that loves God uh, loveth him also that is begotten of him. In other words, we love our brothers. Now, Amen. last week we talked about because verse 21 in chapter 4 says, And this commandment have, have we from him, that he who loveth God love his brother also. And John is specifying a brother or sister in Christ, those of like faith, those that, uh, those that have been born again. He is specifying that, uh, that there. But we also know that the commandment given by Jesus Christ was to love God and to love your neighbor. Amen. It's to love, uh, love God and love everyone around you. Uh, uh, love, love God and love, love everyone that we have contact with. Uh, everyone that loveth him that begat loveth him also that is begotten of him. In other words, I can't say that I love God. Just as we spoke of last week when we got to verse 20 in chapter 4. I can't say that I love God and hate a brother or sister in Christ. Amen. I can't do that. It, it's, it's impossible the way that I'm reading it here. It's impossible to do that. Now, once again, last week we went over it. Are there brothers and sisters in Christ that are easier to love than others? Absolutely. Absolutely. But it doesn't mean that I don't love them. Amen. It, do, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't, doesn't mean that I don't love them. I don't care for them. I don't want to see them grow. I don't want to see them uh, succeed in their Christian walk. I don't want to see them grow in their Christian walk. I want to see everybody grow in their Christian walk. I want to see everybody grow closer to God. Uh, every, everyone that's born again, everyone that has a like faith, uh, like mine, I want to see this in them. So, uh, uh, everyone that loveth him that begat, loveth God, uh, loveth him also that is begotten of him. Uh, verse 2, by this we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and keep his commandments. By this we know that we love the children of God. Notice here in verse 2, of chapter 5 of 1 John. He doesn't say, by this we know that we are children of God. He says, by this we know that we love the children of God. When we love God and keep his commandments. Well, how so? It's impossible to love God and not love your brother. It's impossible. Those two are intertwined. The Bible says, in fact, right here in 1 John, we read it a few weeks back when we were going uh, through this book. It says, we shall know we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. 
Because if y'all were anything like me, you hated the church before you were saved. You hated you hated the things of God. You hated gospel music. You hated people to talk about the Bible. You hated people to talk about salvation. And you certainly hated people to talk about your sin. Make no difference now that we're saved. We still hate people to talk about our pet sins uh, that, that we all have. But that's a whole other lesson. By this we know that we love the children of God. That we love... Brothers and sisters in Christ, by this we know this. He says, when we love God and keep his commandments. This kind of sort of goes right along uh, with what's written in the book of Ecclesiastes. I said just uh, two or three weeks ago that you can take the, the book of Ecclesiastes and take it way out of context go, context, go way out in left field with it, and you can justify any sin that you can dream of by using the book of Ecclesiastes until you get to Ecclesiastes chapter 12 and you see where Solomon writes, this is the conclusion of the whole matter, to fear God and to obey his commandments. That was his conclusion of the entire matter. So anything you read in the book of Ecclesiastes, you have to remember that next to last verse in chapter 12 of it. Because anything you read in there, like I said, taken out of context, you can justify any sin that you want to until you get to that. The conclusion of the whole matter is to fear God and to keep his commandments. John here writes about this. We know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. So this is how we know that we love the children of God, our brothers and sisters in Christ, because we love God and we keep his commandments. Therefore, it's going to come natural to us to love our brothers and sisters in Christ. Folks, when I was born again, I was born again. I was made new. I was a new creature in Christ, just as the Bible describes that we become when we're born again. And if we're a new creature in Christ, we are imparted a new nature. And that new nature is of God. And it is God's nature that he imparts to us. Yes, we still war with sin. Yes, we still war with the flesh. And I understand all these things. Uh, but nevertheless, we are imparted a new nature. And part of that new nature is to love my brothers and to love my sisters. The Bible says that God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. And if God so loved the world and, I'm in, and he has imparted his nature, his good nature to me, I am to love the world. Amen. Not just my brothers and sisters in Christ, but I am to love the world just as God. For this is the love of God, verse 3, for this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not grievous. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not grievous. This is the love of God. If you have a hard time understanding, and I have a difficult time with it sometimes too, understanding how keeping God's law is an expression of love. Read through Psalm 119 sometime. Read through Psalm 119. There's 176 verses to that psalm. I taught that psalm one time. But, Every, every few verses, you read something about someone delighting in the love of God, or delighting in the law of God, and delighting in the judgments of God, and the statutes of God. Why would they delight in that? Folks, once again, fast forward to the New Testament time. If we are born again and we've gotten the nature, the nature of God that he has imparted to us, if we have a new nature about us, 
That will be our first desire, is to please God. If he is our first love, it will be our first desire to please him. And John adds this little line at the end of this verse here. It says, and his commandments are not grievous. That's how the world views the commandments of God. That's not how church people, that's not how saved people, born again people, should view the commandments of God. We don't, we don't keep the commandments to keep salvation. We don't keep the commandments to be saved. We keep the commandments because God has spoken those commandments, and that's what God expects of his people, and we keep them to please him. I've already been saved, but I want to keep his commandments, and I want to delight in his commandments and in his statutes and in his judgments and in his law because that's what delights him. Amen. Think of your relationships. Think of your relationships for just a moment, whether it's husband wife, wife and husband, Son, daughter, father, mother, whatever the case is. But the best, the best example is of a husband and a wife. If, if I go home and I boss Missy around, first of all, I wouldn't get away with it. She wouldn't. She, I wouldn't get away with it for long. I promise you. She'd call me out. And rightfully so, rightfully so. I mean, I'm a born-again husband. She's a born-again wife. A born-again husband shouldn't belittle his wife, shouldn't berate his wife, shouldn't talk down to his wife. But at the same time, Peter writes, wives be in subjection to your husbands. Now, a lost man will hear that, and he'll say, well, the Bible says you're to do what I say. And really and truly, that's what it does say. But a lost man is the one that will belittle and berate his wife. A saved man's not going to go in there, not going to walk into a room or walk in uh, from work or walk into the house, whatever the case is. And especially out in public, my goodness. Y'all ever seen people do that? They'll sit there and they'll talk, they'll talk to their wife like they're a dog out in public. And, you know, the flesh in me wants to creep up when I see that. And I want to go grab people by the collar and sling them against the wall. And, and uh, you know, look, we won't even get into the ends of that. But I, I want to be very worldly when I witness that. But if a saved man treats his wife like a saved man should, loves his wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. If Paul, <coughs> if he loves her like that, she'll have no problem being in subjection to him. Folks, that's how God loves us. And we should have no problem being in subjection to his laws and to his commandments. I said Wednesday night while I was teaching uh, the third chapter of Leviticus, I said then, God loves us with the same love that he loves Christ. And if that's the case, if he loves us with that kind of love, and he does. I mean, my goodness, what does it, what does it say in Romans 8? It says we're heirs to God, we're joint heirs with Jesus Christ. I am a literal son of God. Yes, I'm adopted, and yes, I'm grafted in, but I have the same benefits as the actual only begotten son of God. He loves me with the same love. I'm not saying I can be savior of the world. That's not what I'm saying. Only Christ it was and is able to do that. But I stand to inherit it all with Christ. 
I stand to have it all with Christ. I stand to reign with Christ according to what I read in Scripture. And if God loves me with that kind of love, I should have no problem being in subjection to his laws. I shouldn't look at his laws and say, well, it's just hard to do that. It's hard to keep that. Yes, it's hard to keep it. None of us could do it. That's why Christ had to come and die for you and die for me because we couldn't keep it. But that's no excuse to continue in it. Paul, Paul said, should sin abound, the grace may much more abound. God forbid. No, that's not how we should look at sin. No, that's not how we should look at grace. That's a direct abuse of grace. That's an abuse of the grace that God has given you and given me and an abuse of the mercy he's shown us and the forgiveness that he's given us when we say, well, I should just sin that much more so God can dump more grace on me. That's an abuse of the grace of God. But this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not grievous. His commandments, what he expects of his children, they're not grievous and they shouldn't be. They should thrill us to keep the commandments of God. Why? First of all, because God saved your unworthy soul, and he saved my unworthy soul. And if that's what makes him happy, we should go out of our way to do that. Same way with the husband and wife, or whatever the case is. If, if, if something makes them happy, and it's not illegal, it's not immoral, something along those lines, and if we're saved, that it won't be those things. But if it makes them happy, we should delight in doing it for them. And, and I, we all struggle with things like that. We all do. Why? Because we have pride. We have pride in ourselves. Even with God. Even with God, we struggle with it. I don't want to do that. I don't want to keep this, and I don't want to keep that. And I just, I feel like I'm living a little bit loose today. Folks, that, that shouldn't be our attitude. Amen. I ain't saying just go out and blatant sin, or that's what you're thinking of. I'm saying it should thrill us to no end keep the commandments of God. They are not grievous. The commandments of God are not grievous. Verse 4 For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world and this is the victory that overcometh the world even our faith. What is born of God? <coughs> I am. If you're sitting here saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, you are. Whatsoever is born of God Overcometh the world. And I want you to notice something. I know we concentrate a lot in Sunday school on, on tenses and English grammar. It's important. It's important to really understand uh, a verse of scripture that you pay attention to. I try not to turn it into an English lesson, but it is important. He says, uh, for whatsoever is born of God overcometh the wor world. That word whatsoever in the Greek is singular, just like it is in our English translation. We could make it plural wanted to, but it's singular. So what is John talking about there? He's talking about the church. The church as a whole. The church as the bride of Christ, not a bunch of brides of Christ. The church as the body of Jesus Christ, not a bunch of bodies. So whatsoever, it's singular. Whatsoever, uh, uh, I'm sorry, whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. The church will overcome the world because the church is all that is born of God. I understand God made everybody. And there's a lot of people that latch on to that fact. 
And they say, well, God made me. I'm his. I'm his son. I'm his daughter. That's not the case. Not if you ain't been grafted in. Not if you ain't been saved. Not if you ain't been born again. Yes, you're still his creature. And yes, he still has complete and total control and dominion over the lost world. But whatsoever is born of God, the church, that's what overcomes the world. And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. It's as simple as that. There's no lines to read between. There's no gray area there at all. It says, this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Our faith in what? That's what we spent the first biggest part of this lesson covering. Faith in what? The Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God. Jesus Christ, the one that was promised, the one that came, and the one that's coming back again one day. Our faith in him, that is what overcomes the world. And that is what gives us victory. And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Some people don't know this. I'll just throw it in there as a little side marker. That word victory in Greek, we all know it. It's a word called Nike. And it's spelled the exact same way that your shoes are spelled. Pronounce the same way her shoes are spelled. That's the Greek version of that. The Roman version of that is Victoria. Victoria was the Greek or the Roman goddess of victory and of speed. That's why sometimes when you see paintings of Victoria, the Roman goddess, you see wings on her. That's why. Well, there's several other several other things we won't get into. But that's just that's just a little side note. That the Greek word for victory is Naki. And, but this is how we, uh, we and this is the victory. It's not how we obtain the victory. Folks, only Christ could obtain the victory. And he did. And the victory is still his. But he says, and this is the victory that, uh, that overcometh the world, even our faith. Our faith in Christ. Christ has overcome but the victory in our own lives, the victory to us personally is, is in Christ and it's in our faith in Christ that he has obtained that victory. Folks, when he, when he died, when he died, that was a victory for, for sinners. It was. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. His blood was shed. But I can promise you, had Christ not come up out of that grave, you and I would still be here in our sin. Amen. If he had not resurrected, I don't care how much blood he shed, had he not resurrected, he would not have been the Messiah that he said that he was. He would not have been the Messiah that the scripture says that he was had he not resurrected. But he did resurrect. He did overcome death, hell, and the grave. And he did ascend to the Father. And he is mediating. And he is intercessing for me and on my behalf. This is the Christ that I have my faith in. This is the Christ that we have victory in. This is the victory that's promised to us. The victory that belongs to Christ. Folks, if, if we're heirs of God and joint heirs of Jesus Christ, just like I quoted a little while ago from Romans 8, if we are those things, we have, then we stand to inherit everything that is Christ's, including the victory that he won. Including that. His victory is our victory. Amen. Because we have faith in him. And only because we have faith in him. 
overcoming the world. Because Christ overcame the world. Christ overcame sin. Christ overcame death. Christ overcame these things. And his victory is my victory. But outside of him, like I was when I was 18, I wasn't saved when I was 18. Outside of him, I don't stand a chance against the world. I don't stand a chance against demons and Satan. And only within me, I don't stand a chance against any of those things. But with Christ on the inside, with the Spirit of God with me, I have overcome the world. I've already overcame because he has overcame the world. So we didn't get very far in 1 John chapter 5, but that's okay. We're running out of time, and I certainly don't want to get in verse 6. Anybody got any questions or comments?